If you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians 6 here in just a minute or so. We've got, uh, <coughs> when you have a series like this where you're not going directly from a text, which uh, FYI, if you care, after we get done with this series, we're going to go through 2 Corinthians, which should take pretty much till Thanksgiving, I hope. Uh, but you, 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 have, you want a lot of scripture in it to inform um, and I think that's what I tried to do here. I counted just because I'm a math geek, but 33 scriptures today. So uh, hold on to your hats. I'll apologize a little bit in advance. There's a lot in here, uh, maybe more. Maybe I should have split this into two. I don't know. But uh, if you remember, we're doing Christian worldview. What does it mean to develop one of those? Christian worldview is a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is thinking like Jesus. So Keep that in mind, especially for this week. We're looking at the seven questions that uh, George Barna and his uh, statistical gurus uh, have come up with to, to, to kind of, how, how should we answer these questions? The questions, you remember, we started with, does God exist? That was the first one. Uh, we, we, we decided that he did. Um, but, you know, it, that's the question you're asking. I mean, if you're talking to somebody, that's, that's a question to know the answer to for somebody. A lot of people think that he doesn't. Um, what is the character and nature of God? We talked about that. Why, why was the world created? What is the nature and purpose of humanity? That was number four. Today we're looking at spiritual authorities. Uh, last week we looked at what happens when we die. They all kind of relate because the spiritual authorities have to do with that. So again, we're going to go through this. I could have titled this, uh, everything you, you need to know about angels, demons, and the Holy Spirit <coughs> in 34 minutes. Maybe 33 if I talk fast. That's kind of, but the key is what, think like Jesus. This is the idea, because this is weird stuff for most people, uh, even for me. You can say, we can do this. A lot of people do theology that way. Well, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, well, okay, let's try to understand it. But are you going to listen to what it says and think like Jesus or just come up with what you want? We're go I'm going to give you what the Bible says about these spiritual authorities. And a good place to start, of course, uh, is Ephesians 6 that gives us the battle. Finally, be strong. Verse 10, if you're following along. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication for all the saints. So that's, we, we probably heard of the armor of God. We're not going to talk a lot about that, maybe a little bit toward the end. But what we have to see, the Bible puts this out. This is a biblical worldview that every aspect of our lives were involved in this battle between good and evil, most of which we can't see. We see the effects of it. 1 Peter 5.8, 1 Peter written to a group of Christians in the northern part of what's now Turkey, 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. And that's the way it's always put out there. Uh, this is something that's there. It's like, you, you know, and this may be one of them you say, well, I don't know if I like this. And I'm not, really don't know if I like it either. But how is it presented? Well, the good news is that God wins. I read the end of the book. I read ahead. Um, if you want to have, if there's any time you just want to have a good read, read Revelation 21. It'll make you feel really good if you're a follower of Christ. If you're not, you might want to think about doing that after reading Revelation 21, repenting. But many will be bloodied and even lost in the process. But the Bible is clear. We are at war against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So what are these spiritual forces? Well, they're forces, so we have to be warriors. This is one thing we forget. You know, a lot of times Christians, you know, it's like, well, be good if you can. Um, say some nice things about Jesus and just be nice. You know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with those. But this is a battle. But we do not fight alone. This is one of my favorite verses, uh, Exodus 15, 3. The Lord is a warrior. <laughs> I just love that verse. Now, this is coming off of Exodus when he just whooped the supposed gods of Pharaoh. Um, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. If it is a battle, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody that strong fighting for you? We fight alongside. We don't fight on our own. And that is, can be a problem if we try to do that. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. And, and some of this is talking about how he helped the Israelites overcome battle. But the, the background is this spiritual battle that's always there. Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him and delivers them. Well, we're going to look at the players in the war. First of all, and you always want to start with this, we, we sang uh, about him just a little bit ago, the Holy Spirit, or the Ruach HaKodesh, which doesn't that sound cool? Everybody say that to get, no, I don't like doing that. But Ruach HaKodesh is really cool. That's, a neat, that's the Hebrew way. The Ruach HaKodesh, you know, it just sounds a little more zip. Um, he is God, and he lives in us if we repent and follow Jesus, and for my purposes, and you can do how, if you understand this better than I do, then go with your purpose, but the way I look at what it means when the Holy Spirit is in us, because it's just kind of a metaphysical mishmash, I don't know what he's talking about, you know. Well, have you ever thought about this? Maybe you haven't, you, you will now. Where's your soul? Where does it start, and where does it end? It's, it's here, right? Right? It doesn't take long when you get non-physical things. We are, uh, when someone dies, right, whether they're in the Lord or not, their soul leaves their body, right? I mean, pretty much that's a, everybody kind of thinks that, except you're just a complete materialist. You know, the soul that believes in Christ goes to the Father, and the soul that doesn't goes someplace else, right? But there's sti you still continue. We all kind of believe that, but, you know, and I don't think we need to know. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of maybe about two foot. Because you get within two foot of me, you're kind of getting on my soul. It's all about this hugging thing. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but, you you know, we, we don't even know where we end, and we're like, well, I can't figure out the Holy Spirit. You can't even figure out your own soul, your own spirit. So what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in us? I mean, if I don't know how many of anybody's had open heart or open body cavity surgery. If they look in there, well, there it is, right next to your spleen. That's not the way we look at it. It's a category error, right? Um, 
Well, what does that mean? Well, for me, it's, it, it's, it's strong. We just sung about that. God, it, Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. Real, not just some mist. And this, when he's in us, there's a personal access and influence that you don't otherwise have. That's the way I look at it. We have access to God because the Holy Spirit is effectually with us. Another way, of, you know, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and you're supposed to get in that yoke with him, that's kind of the Holy Spirit thing going on. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's, it's the access you have, the power that you have to overcome temptation and resist the devil. And we'll, we'll look at how that works. So that's, that's the way. I, hopefully that, it helps me. Whether it helps you, I guess you'll have to. And I guess I should have prefaced all this with this. This is just quick. We're going to go through this really fast. So if you have questions, please ask. Because if you go on the internet, you get about a 99% chance of getting something that's completely non-biblical. And dare I say dull. Be careful. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. It's that access. That's what says, right? You know, we want that access, that power that he gives us to overcome temptation, sin, and evil. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts and abilities. We have that in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Romans 12. The, to fight evil, that's what they're mainly for and to serve Christ. These are not to say, hey, look at me, I've got the gift of apathy or whatever. It's, it's for the body, it's for the honoring of God. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. So there's a, that gifting thing. You can't have that if you don't have the spirit because he's not there to gift you. you know, again, it's for God. Then you think about the apostles in, in, in John 14 in the upper room. Jesus says, and you get another name for the Holy Spirit, uh, the helper. Uh, sometimes you'll see that translated advocate or paraclete, um, the one that's beside you. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, apostles, all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So one of the, one of the things we want to think about, we'll hit this toward the end, we have the New Testament because of this verse and others. He made sure, the Holy Spirit makes sure they got it right. And this is one of the, if, if somebody says, why do you believe the Old Testament is true? I would just say because Jesus thought it was. And then you can argue with him. Why do you believe the New Testament is true? Because Jesus made sure we got it. The Holy Spirit is making sure this works out and we've got the truth. So that's kind of the Holy Spirit's work. Protect us from evil, convicts us of our sin, and points us back to Jesus, which primarily comes in his word. But we have these other beings called angels. The, the word just means messenger. They're created beings. They're not human and they're not physical. So they're quite hard to see, right? You see them once in a while. Remember the, the funny one in Numbers where Balaam is going to curse Israel and he's got a donkey with him? And the donkey won't move, and he's kicking the donkey, and the donkey finally says, you know, what are you doing that for? Which doesn't happen. Even in the Bible, donkeys don't talk that much. But what was the problem? There was an angel in the way. The angel was there before he saw him. It just was not something that was given to them. Another one, Elijah with his servant is looking, and they're, they're captive in this, this uh, uh, one town, and it looks like they're going to get killed and murdered and all that stuff from the bad guys. And Elijah's like, nah, we're good. And the servant says, eh, it look like it. And he says, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And he sees thousands of angels 
out there ready to fight for them. You don't see it much. I, I've, I've, I've been keeping track in my own life how many times I've seen an angel. I'm still at zero. And I don't need to see one. I mean, if God wants me to see one, he'll see one. Uh, are they active? M most likely. What is their purpose? Well, to serve God and honor him. And how do they do that? Well, 1 Peter 3. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So everything we talk about with the exclusion of the Holy Spirit is below a, a deity. These are, again, the biblical worldview. And Hebrews 1 kind of tells us their main job. Are angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve, serve who? Mainly God, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. There are servants. Uh, Christmas time, you get one, right? Zachariah doing the incense thing. This is cool. Come out, you know, and boop, there's, you know, I wonder how long Gabriel was there before he saw him. Or did he have to go, come on, I'm right here. I don't know. I don't know how that works. And I, I don't know if, if, if Zachariah would have took his hand and would he would have, would have went through him? Or would have been, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I mean, I, it doesn't matter, I guess. But what are they there for? L Gabriel was there to serve. You know, tell Zachariah that the child he was going to have in old age was going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And, you know, and Zachariah said, sounds great. Let's do it. I know he doesn't really, it, uh, it seems weird to me that one would do that, but... Um, he's a little bit wondering if this was right, you know, so. They're used by God to inform, confront, guide, warn, or care for people. I want to go through this quickly. It's a little hard. We miss Matthew 18. I think a lot of people miss this, and I don't know how. I mean, I've seen the pictures of the kids going across the bridge and the angel there, and I'm fine with that. I think that can happen. Probably not. The angel's probably more ripped than the one there, but that's fine. Um, the... Uh, when he, he's talking about little ones, John picks this up in his, go, uh, in his uh, a letter, first letter too. Little ones, is, here is a, he puts the little kid on his knee and he said, you got to be like this kid. He's humble. He's dependent. That's what you got to be like. And so a lot of times disciples are called little children. That's what's talked to. This is just, you could say, see that you do not despise one of these people who follow me. This isn't talking just about little kids. Uh, For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. We just found out they were sent to serve believers. This is the same thing. <laughs> and this actually came before that because this is in the Gospels. That's what they're there for. I, you know, we get the guardian angel thing. I don't know. Uh, you know how many times in the epistles we're told we're supposed to talk to our own angel? Same number that I've seen angels. And zero. There's no instructions to do that. Let God take care of the angels. He seems to be better at it than we are. Heck, even these holy people can't figure out. It's like they, they question them. And they're used to combat evil and, and punish. You, you see this back in First Chronicles. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. Well, you can go back to Exodus, Passover. You know, we, we talk about that and how that shows us what Jesus did. You know, the lamb's blood. Why was the lamb's blood put there? The what of death was coming? The angel of death. Now, we can say good angel, bad angel. Uh, who's sending it? Yahweh is sending it. There you go. So this angel's set there to destroy Jerusalem, but as he was about to destroy it, the Lord, Yahweh, saw, and he relented that calamity. Why? Because they were repenting. So they didn't destroy it. And, and unfortunately, if you read on, it does end up happening. 
Then this Dan, if you read Daniel 10, this vision is, is cool. And Daniel everywhere, it's all kind of cool. Whole, all of Daniel is a fun read. You got the lion's den, you got Rackshack and Benny getting burned up, but not getting burned up. This is cool stuff. But then you have these visions, 9 and 10. And God sent the, oh, excuse me, the prince of kingdom of Persia was stood. This is an angel that's talking to Daniel, which doesn't happen very often in the Bible either. But he says to Daniel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, who we know is another angel, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Most people would interpret this, and I would agree, these aren't just, these aren't earthly kings. These are some sort of ruling authorities. Because, you know, how, they wouldn't have to fight that. They could beat them up. But that, it's like a spiritual struggle. It's kind of a cool chapter to read. And it looks like when Michael came, it kind of all got taken care of. If you read Revelation, Michael's actually a fairly strong dude. And bench press is like 600, I heard. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Kilos, maybe. I don't know. And then Acts 12. This is a, I, I have to admit, and I'm sorry, that this is a fun scripture for me, and it shouldn't be. I realize that. But I'm going to. Immediately, this is what has happened. We have Herod Agrippa I. Um, who is out there and saying things, and it's like, he's like the voice of God. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck Herod Agrippa down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I don't know why this doesn't happen more to politicians. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe we should carry worms in our pot. I don't know. But, but who decided that? I mean, it's, it, we do ask that, right? You know? Just a kind of an aside, you think about, you know, and, and, and I'm completely serious here. This church has by far been the most generous church I've ever been a part of, both in the way you guys give monetarily and by your time and all. I mean, just, just wonderful. But I have been in churches where that didn't happen, and I always wanted to preach for the Stewardship Sunday, the one where Ananias and Fira come in and they get killed because they didn't give enough. How come that didn't happen? You know, it's a one-off, I think. The worm thing probably is too, right? So that's angels. That's, that's the idea. Uh, who struck down Herod Agrippa? We always think angel. We get it, you know, we get it during Valentine's Day. You get these fat little naked babies. That's not in the Bible anywhere. Cherubim, they're the ones that have the flaming sword in front of the Garden of Eden, so you ain't coming back in. No one to be trifled with. If you want, if you have it, have an, you know, if you want a really good illustration of an angel, get one of those, get those Bibles that are illustrated. Hence the name. Um, but they are cool. I mean, you know, they got Gabriel there with Zachariah, and this dude is boom, good stuff. I'll be back. That type of stuff, you know. Big dude. Strong dude. And I don't know what they look like. We don't really know, but uh, they're imposing. You think about it. If an angel <laughs> came to Mary... And it was one of those little fat, fear not. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. There's got to be something there that's imposing, right? You don't fear those. I wouldn't fear those. I mean, I suppose if there's enough of them, they can smack you in the head or something. But. Well, then we have Satan. This is the one that we don't like to talk about, but it, he, he seems to show up in the, in the account uh, uh, in the Gospels and other places. The devil, a fallen angel who leads other fallen angels against humanity in the spiritual war. And this is where, and I'm not going to go very far here, but you can say, well, why? I don't know. This is just the way it is. Why did a lot of things happen? The why questions are hard in the Bible, but we can still see who he is. 
And I want to read from Ezekiel 28. This is where most of what we think we know about Satan is just not even biblical. Um, like the horns and the little tail thing, you know, this tail thing. You got to walk like this so that you can like step on it. Um, but th that's, that's a character of the medieval times. But Ezekiel is, is interesting because, and I want you, as we look at it, I want you to hear who this is actually to because we think, we know who this is to, and we're going to you know, start there in 13. Um, but it, it starts back really in verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Me is Ezekiel. Thank you. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says. So this is about the king of Tyre, which is a coastal city uh, by Sidon. You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Well, we got a problem here. I've never seen a picture of the king of Tyre, but he probably ain't this. There's something about this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Well, I don't think Eden is not accessible to the king of Tyre. So what's going on here? What's happening, I think, here is the king of Tyre is evil. But who's behind all the evil? Whoever... This is, who was in Eden. Ooh, well, we do get that knockish in Eden, that talking donkey. Oh, no, it's a snake, right? Yeah, doesn't happen often, you know. As far as I know, that's the last time a snake talks. So, but l let me just read through this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, and beryl, and onyx, and jasper, and sapphire, and emerald, and carbuncle, and grafted in gold were your settings and your great, you know, this great person or personage or being. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Did you know Eden was on a mountain? thought I'd throw that out. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with the violence of your mist, and you sinned, and I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. Your heart was proud. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes upon you. So this is what we think is actually, even though it's talking about the king of Tyre in, the, in its context, it's really this metaphor poem for what Satan is like. And that's where we get the idea, which I think is probably correct, that Satan fell because of his pride. So by the time we get to the garden... He either is already messed up or that's when he did. And we've talked about that before. So that's kind of where it, it comes from. When you look at 1 John, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Well, that's kind of what we talked about here. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And this is a great, we're going to hit this at the end. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To undo the fallenness of humanity. That's why Jesus came. Satan, that's a Hebrew word. It means enemy or accuser. It may or may not be his name. We don't, I don't know what his name is. I know it's not Lucifer, but that's another discussion. The devil is just the, 
is this the word diablos translated? That's the Greek. It still means enemy or accuser. So you could tell what his main thing is. He's an enemy. He's an accuser. He tries to do this. He wants to be the enemy. And again, you can ask the question, and I do quite often, why? God said so. I don't know. This is the way the world works. Again, biblical worldview. Think like Jesus. Satan has power, but contrary to many movies, <laughs> he's no deity. We don't believe in some dualistic good God, bad God thing, uh, yin-yang thing. He does not have unlimited power. He's not omnipotent. He does not know all things. He's not omniscient. He does not have unlimited presence. He's not, he, he's not omnipresent. He can only do what he's allowed to do by God. Again, I, 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 you think of Job. Um, been reading those to my granddaughter those th she, when she comes over. Uh, not the three-month-old because she doesn't pay that much attention. But, <laughs> but Job is in the middle because it's kind of chronological. And it's just m it, you've got this dude that looks a little evil. It's pretty ripped, too, coming before. And you don't even see God. He's kind of like. He's kind of looking down, and he, he, in Job 1 and 2, this is illustrated that way, but he comes to ask permission to do something to Job. I mean, what does it tell us about Satan? He's on some sort of leash, right? He can only do what God allows him to do. And again, why does God allow him to do some of the things he do? We know the main answer of the day, right? <laughs> I don't know. but this is the worldview that's out there. And what do you have if you get rid of it? You don't get rid of evil if you get rid of Satan and the worldview of God. It's still here. But we get the answer. What's his character? John 8. You are of your father, the devil. He's talking to people who are rejecting him and are at Temple Mount. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And what does he mainly lie about? God's commandments. He mainly tries to twist those, and he does it pretty good. That's his methods. You get this in 2 Corinthians. We'll hit this harder when we go through 2 Corinthians, but deception. Remember how he talks to Eve. Did God really say that you're not supposed to eat this nice fruit? You know, it wasn't mean. Think of the temptation that he had with, with Jesus when Jesus goes into the wilderness. What did he say? You know, I'll give you kingdoms. Turn these stones into bread. You know, could, could Jesus have done that? And what's Jesus used to combat him? Deuteronomy. Might want to read it. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll do a sermon on that. That will probably take a long time. 2 Corinthians 11, this is a great way to put it, obviously, in the biblical. And no wonder that all these evil things are happening and people are deceived, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Now, that may be literal, but I think it's more metaphoric. It always looks good. You remember what Eve does? She takes the apple off the tree. This looks good. It's something that it was pleasing to her eye. You know, it's always pleasing. I mean, think about it. If you're tempted to do evil, are you going to do it if it doesn't look like something you want to do? You know, I've said it before, and you can use what you want, like raw liver. 
Could you imagine, you know, there's, there's the raw liver tree in the middle of the garden. And you take it, and the blood runs down, and it looks just terrible. You don't want to eat it. That's not tempting. It's alluring. You know, temptation is something. That's why we call it that. It's tempting. And Satan disguises himself to angel a lot. You'll hear things. Did God really say that marriage should, should be between one man and one woman for a lifetime before him? Yeah, he did. But the lie's out there, isn't it? To the point now that if, if you say that, you're the one that's unloving. Who are we following? Who are we trying to please? What did God really say? Demons and evil spirits. They're also fallen angels and they're in league with Satan in some way. You see this in Revelation 12. And the great dragon, which is another, exactly the same word for serpent, uh, Nakish was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That was what we call the fall of the angels. And that's about all we get about how that works. You know, why did they follow him? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. But we do have this, that they exist, and this is kind of how it happened. But then Jesus, in this great parable in chapter 25, then he will say to those on his left, those who didn't listen to the words of the disciples, just depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. That's where non-believers go. They go, something's already prepared for them, their final end. So we see these angels, these fallen angels, demons, evil spirits. They have the same character as Satan. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. In fact, the way Paul saw it, if it's not a teaching of God, guess whose teaching it is? And it always looks good, right? It always looks like this is good for you, even though God has clearly said this is bad for you. And it seems probable that some of these evil spirits have been banished by God to a place where they cannot influence people. We see this a couple places. Second Peter tells us, <coughs> for if God did not spare <coughs> excuse me, angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. It looks like, and some people think this is what's going on in Genesis 6, but that's another story, but it looks like there were some angels that just don't have access. It's, it, they're in a place called, actually the good translation would be the abyss. Have you heard of the abyss? It's this place that they're, that they're there, they can't get out, they're not going to. But we do have some that do have some access to people. Remember the real fun, the legion, a lot of demons you know, that were influencing this guy? He was possessed by them at, at pretty much every level, and then eventually he's cast them out, and the demons say, begged Jesus not to command them to depart to the abyss. So where did he send them? Into the llamas. That was the pigs. Yeah, just want to make sure you're awake. Uh, not a lot of llamas in the Middle East, but uh, which is just ironic because pigs are unclean. You know, what a neat place to put a evil spirit. But look at that, the abyss. Well, what do they say? I mean, to me, it seems like he's saying, don't send us where we have no access and can't roam the earth. Send us into the pigs or send us somewhere else. So there, we have that, but we have this clearly that they have access to people. You see this very early in Mark, Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene, repent, believe the good news, follow me, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. It doesn't take long. And where do you see most of this 
visible evil spirit happening during Jesus' ministry. You know how many exorcisms we have in the Old Testament? Recorded. Zero. How many afterwards? I think two. <laughs> After Jesus' rest. It wasn't a big deal. And we just have to be so careful with this. You know how much instruction we're given in the letters of the New Testament on how to do an exorcism? You should know this because there's a pattern here. There isn't any. So I wouldn't worry about that that much. What, is it, what, what did Jesus do when he said, you know, demons get out? He got rid of the demon, right? He got rid of the evil, wanting the good to come, you know, the Holy Spirit eventually to come. Well, how would we do that for someone? It's really not that hard. It starts with an R. Repent. Because if you repent, believe the good news, and follow Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, and there ain't going to be no demons in there. I've only done one exorcism in my life, and that's, it, supposed it was in Austin, in a student chaplain, somebody thought their young one was possessed. And nobody else would try it, and Darren and I said, we'll give her a shot. I don't know if that was a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, we went and it looked like a girl that was sick. But this was, and we just prayed that if she has not repented, that she would. And that, that's the how you do it. That's your exorcism if you want one. Repent. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world, right? That's, that's really not that hard. And that's probably why we don't have a, this is how you do it. Well, Jesus did it. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, remember this. You aren't Jesus. He knew what he was doing. We don't need to do this kind of stuff. But these spirits, just like Satan, they're limited also in power by Yahweh. But they can greatly influence non-believers. And normally it's not, their head's not spinning around. There's not, you know, split pea soup coming out of their life. And they're not walking around the ceiling. That's not the normal way. It's usually just as subtle as it's been in most of the Gospels in the Old Testament. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! <laughs> Interesting. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting? We've got demons that know Jesus better than most people, <laughs> and they don't even follow him. Uh, but it tells you, just because you know about God, whoopee, these guys know about God. Do you trust him? Do you follow him? But this is key to know. The access and influence is limited for true followers of Christ. We have plenty of scriptures that say this. Little children, which I hope by now you know doesn't mean everybody under six, People who follow Jesus, you are from God and has overcome them, the evil, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know, the Holy Spirit is going to win. He's just as ripped as those angels, probably more so. There's, not, there's nothing there. And notice, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, and how do the demons re react? Please, sir, could you put me into the pigs? You know, it's not like we're doing it. You, you have, they knew they had no power. And a practical way of doing this, I think, is in 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful, and he will not let you, believers, be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. 
that you may be able to endure it. That's the main battle, right? It's almost like that little angel on your shoulder and little devil. It's, it almost works that way, right? I don't know. If it, but that is, a temptation is there. It's subtle. We have to be careful. So here's the key point. There's no indication in the Bible of these spirits forcing themselves on a person. All we find out is they're in there already. They surely didn't force themselves on Adam and Eve, or Satan didn't. They are in some way always invited in. And if you read through, especially 1st and 2nd Corinthians and the way it's talked about, the doctrine of demons, we read that, it's usually through unrepentant sin and most often idolatry. That's where you find it. When people are worshiping other gods. You saw it in the Old Testament, you see it now. And once they're there, we see their influence sometimes looks total. It looks bad. And people can stand in front of us and say something that's clearly God dishonoring and see it as something good. They're duped. One of Satan's best weapons is apathy about himself and about God's purposes and his word. Say he doesn't exist. The other big weapon, I don't put it up there, but don't think about Satan every five minutes either. Jesus didn't. Have a biblical worldview. You know, just because your team gives up extra runs in the ninth and you lose doesn't mean it was Satan doing it. Although sometimes I think he does. No, I'm just kidding. I think that, you know, you think about that. It, it's have a healthy view of this. And don't get cocky about it either. Because the only reason Satan would come away from you is because of who's in you, not because of you. But the spiritual battle is real, and Satan fights whether we do or not. So why don't we see, you know, people possessed? I don't think Satan needs that in the West. The subtle stuff works where people think they're doing something good when they clearly and biblically are dishonoring what God has shown us. Who are we trying to please? So, we had a lot of I don't knows, but what should we do? Well, the Ephesians 6 armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of rightness, the feet fitted with the gospel, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, notice they're all defensive weapons. We have only one offensive weapon, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. How do you do that? Follow Him. Know His Word. Live His Word. Lean into the Holy Spirit and His church, and then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you don't have those things, if you try to resist the devil, if you're a non-believer without the Holy Spirit, don't know the Word, don't know any of this thing, he's probably going to say what those demons said in that other scripture. Ha! Who are you to resist me? But he'll, turn he'll tuck tail and turn, whether he has one of those tails or not. We can resist him if we submit ourselves to God. For the weapons of our warfare are not the of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Great verse to know. This is what the battle is, folks. It's a battle for the mind. Are we willing to think like Jesus? This is what this whole series is about. But we don't fight alone. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Paul was aware of this war. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
and we must be aware of it too. He tells Timothy to fight the, fight the fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses, as it is in many things. If you want to fight a spiritual battle, you focus on Jesus, fix your eyes on him and let him fight with you. Let us pray. Father, we uh, look at this particular subject with trepidation, trying to understand, but just pray for each one here as we look at this, that this we remember to stay biblical, whatever the question, whatever the answer we're looking for. We try to understand. May we fix our eyes on you. May we submit ourselves to you and let you take care of the evil. May we be in that yoke, knowing that it's light and not burdensome for you. Amen.